Welcome to A Fistful of Truth with me, your host, Delara Essengill. Today is December 9th, 2021. You can find me daily here on Spotify on A Fistful of Truth, and you can listen to Fistful of Truth on a web browser at anchor.fm, which is probably the preferred method. Do be aware, folks, that I am extremely censored beyond belief. The things that are happening to me as far as internet connectivity, as far as phones getting connected, disconnected, programs disappearing, the list is too long to go into here and it will bore both of us. But please be aware that I am so heavily censored because they just don't like me telling you guys the truth and nothing but. And that's all you're going to get here in this podcast. There's no fluff. There's no shillery. There's no regurgitation. There's no repackaging. There's no fake intel. There's no hearsay. I'm it. I'm the one that's speaking about my experiences uh, as a professional in my field and all the different things that have happened to me. Uh, You can go back to the beginning of A Fistful of Truth episodes and check out the first one through three episodes uh, where I explain how I got involved uh, with this. I think there's one called What My Eyes Have Seen Too, but the very beginning is a brief explanation of my involvement, uh, which I haven't detailed completely because there are still criminal investigations going on to which uh, I have had to contribute um, information. So due to that reason, uh, there are some things that I still cannot discuss, but we're pretty much aware of all of it at this point. Speaking of which, you can go to my blog at www.delaraessengill.blog. And due to all the censorship, please scroll down and enter your email address. It's the one thing I ask um, of everybody listening. If there's two things you can do for me, one is go to the blog, delaraessengill.blog, and enter your email address to receive notifications. I believe you can actually uh, cater the notifications and set them to your own preferences so you're not getting too many emails. But the reason I ask you to do this is I can't even log in sometimes to WordPress to get an article up. It's becoming worse and worse. Uh, I can't search for things. You can't even find me in places. People can't pull stuff up. When you enter your email address, I'll be able to stay in touch with you and keep your uh, email in the database of only the blog uh, and the post that I put up. It stays totally within me. There's no advertisers on the blog. Um, there's no, there's the blog is free and they're not going to get, it's not going to be shared with anybody. And so if the light should go out, that's the only way I'm going to be able to stay in touch with you guys because this podcast is being censored. Um, the other thing you could do for me is share any information from the blog with other people who may be receptive to it, as well as this podcast, please share it. It means more to me than money because I sit here and I do things selflessly for free on my own time, um, per God's instructions. And here I am talking to you guys today. So I really appreciate the sharing and the email address number one. If you guys can also support a fistful of truth, uh, I am not working still and I'm still uh, looking for work. It is almost impossible to find work when you're uh, a truth teller and a whistleblower. And um, there's no other, there's nothing else that I can do, but at this point, tell the truth, speak the truth and get others to you, other people to you who can also give you truths that have never really been told before because we couldn't speak before. So this is the time to share, connect, And also, if you can donate to a Fistful of Truth podcast, there's a support link listed in the podcast description, and all it costs is 99 cents a month. If every listener could give $1 a month or $5.99, a month or $10, so it's the minimum is a dollar, the maximum is 10. You decide where you lie between that if you can indeed um, support a Fistful of Truth. And also, 
there is a PayPal link. So thank you to everybody who's continuing to support the podcast. I appreciate it more than words could ever say. And God bless you all. Uh, today uh, is the is Thursday. And yesterday was the 8th of December, but I was unable to put up a podcast because of censorship. It was practically impossible to get online. I was having just a hell of a day trying to even record anything. It would disappear. So I gave up and then I, I was too tired and I fell asleep. Um, by the time, I guess the connectivity issues may have been resolved, praying that this, whatever I'm speaking into this microphone is going to get recorded because there's been times where I record a whole podcast and the entire thing just disappears, just travels off into censorship land. So be still and know uh, God is working and he's working through people like yourself and myself and others who are in this movement of truth. And we are never going to be stopped because we follow the truth and nothing but. So today is LA non-confidential LA non-confidential part four of a uh, so far four-part series with featuring retired Sergeant Mike Fanning from LAPD. He is telling us a story of the infiltration of communism, Marxism, Luciferianism. So yeah, the baby eaters, the criminals, uh, the demon rats with the Marxist underlying foundations, the way that America was infiltrated, coming straight to you directly from Sergeant Fanning's own experiences, own words, uh, and his insights. Very knowledgeable, uh, amazing patriot, and one of my most favorite people on earth. God bless this man, and welcome to the show, Sergeant Mike Fanning. Well, hello, Sergeant Fanning. We're finally online. Yeah, just a few small little technicalities here in um, broadcast world. Well, I'm glad that it's not censorship, at least yet. Or not as apparent, yes. <laughs> exactly. See, there's there's a lot of detail in the subtleties. Yeah, there are. Yeah. So, how have you been? Doing well. Um, um going through uh, some uh, security issues uh, uh, things have been compromised here uh, due to my uh, work in afghanistan and uh, we'll save that for an explanation of some sort maybe mm -hmm. at another point in time <sighs> but we're doing okay okay good Good to hear. I hope you had a, I think we haven't, we skipped an episode uh, during Thanksgiving. So is this uh this is number know, four, this is number four. And I, I lose track of time these days. I wake up and I feel like it's groundhog day every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to take it away here. And uh, uh, what I really want to talk about here is a little bit of a um, once over the world lightly um historical overview from about the time of the, uh, the end of the American Civil War and certain events that were taking place that were not mainstream involving um, high-level operatives in uh, Grand Orient Freemasonry in Europe and their protégés in the United States. The point being is that these meetings talked about strategies that were going to be developed and then applied uh, in the next century, which would be the 20th century. 
And by the time I became a Los Angeles police officer in 1970, uh, we had already had two of the world wars that were planned um, and spoken about in this meeting that took place between two Italian Grand Orient uh, Lodge Freemasons, Freemasons uh, by the name of Garibaldi and Mazzini. And they met in the United States uh, with uh, Albert Pike, who had been one of the uh, Confederate generals, but who was also uh, in the, in the um, American Lodge of Freemasonry, Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And the uh, Pike was pretty much being told what was going to be happening. And he was being told that there was going to be this uh, not for public information, uh, but within the uh, appointed specific individuals uh, in lodges uh, around the world and in, in, uh, in Europe and in the West, particularly Pike and uh, who would follow in his uh, footsteps afterwards, that there was going to be a coordinated effort to have wars that would involve the United States and that there would be um, a, an enemy that would be created that was already on, uh, in, in history already in existence that was communism and that uh, it would be the counterforce that would give uh, Western governments the ability to expand power and, and begin to uh, coordinate the deterioration of sovereignties and national sovereignties and, and existing statutory things like constitutions and move towards a consolidation of power in the world. And this was before terms like the New World Order were used. The first time that it was used publicly, officially, that I'm aware of was in uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's first inaugural, his only inaugural address. And, um, but these, the, the, the significance, if, if the, the listeners are not aware of who Garibaldi and Mazzini are, or they uh, ran the um, Masonic Lodge military operations against the Vatican, the Catholic Church in Rome, and there was literally a war throughout Italy that was directed at trying to militarily topple the Catholic Church. It was called the, uh, the War of the Papal States, and it was uh, being fought against by the reigning pontiff at the time of uh, Pope Pius IX. Pope Pius IX uh, was very, very well versed about the, uh, what are called in a, in a broader sense, the organized forces of naturalism, which involve Freemasonry and communism and their, their sources of inspiration, which are primarily Jewish in nature. Um, and all you have to do, if you're looking for just a, a quick a cursory evaluation of that as you look for the names of uh, so many numerous individuals and operatives, especially in communism over the years. And uh, we can go into that a little bit at some point in time. But just to give a quick overview, 
the War of the Papal States was won by the uh, by the Pope and uh, the loyal um, Italian military elements that came to the aid of the Vatican to repel the military attempt to topple the whole entire Catholic Church from the head on down. If they would have taken out the head, they believed that that the church would have, have crumbled and gone away in uh, throughout the rest of the world. The the extensive amount of hatred by what the 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 ideology that is underneath underlies Freemasonry and also underlies communism is is uh, a form of atheistic um, hatred of the Catholic Church. They don't hate the Protestants because they already know that that they, they left the Catholic Church. They don't care about any other religions because they're not part of the Catholic Church. And, the, and, and what underpins these, what are called secret societies, communism is not a secret society, but the Masonic lodges are, and things that are have very different names uh, that are also of that uh, uh, basis. They all draw, derive themselves from the occult. And there is two forces in this world. Um, there's good and evil, but they have names and they have structures that are, they are associated with. And if people who are not Catholic or who are misinformed or uninformed Catholics or who are people who are not religious at all, but they have a, a bias against the Catholic Church, you're, <clears throat> you're being subjective against something that's, that's being uh, affected, affecting your life and affecting every well, everyone else's life in the world because the occult, Luciferians, and Satanists, and they are different. They are different levels of the occult. Um, they hate the Catholic Church because they know that Jesus Christ founded that church. Whether you like that church or not, that's not relevant. Yeah. Not to the argument and, and to the objectives of why these two forces, these occult forces, um, <clears throat> populate these secret societies with people who are they're evil. They are, uh, and some of them are, are perfectly possessed by a demon or more than one demon. And they are um, um, pathological sociopaths. And they will do anything criminal to achieve their objective. So <clears throat> the um, these wars that were being planned at this meeting between Mazzini and Garibaldi and, and Albert Pike were the first and the second world war. There was also a third world war that was, was on the table being discussed. It has or has not put a question mark there next to that part of it is, has that third world war occurred? Was it the cold war? Was it the asymmetrical war that we are living in the midst of right now? Uh, or is it some other form of a hot war that we have yet to, to, uh, to see uh, pop up on our, uh, on our uh, radar? So now, so when we get to the 20th century, and uh, we are somewhere in the range of uh, 30 to 80 years old, you know, and, and we, we're going to start l learning about our world, some people have the ability to understand them, understand it with a little bit more precise 
and precision. Uh, I would like to think that, that uh, I had the opportunity before I realized what I was getting totally in, involved with by joining the police department, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, there was more to this than what I thought. Unbelievable. And, and clearly it, it was more than I, what I thought. And what I began to realize at the outset, as we were being told as just raw recruit officers being, getting ready to be trained, was that um, the department had just undergone a, uh, a professional uh, private, privately funded uh, uh, evaluation and analysis of its uh, systems and procedures. And uh, a, a new system was being put in place uh, that was uh, predicated upon this study. And the study was called the Jacobs Survey. And uh, loosely construed uh, for the sake of telling people within the uh, law enforcement world, uh, we were going to be, become more professional, become very much more professional. Um, however, there were other institutions in America that were also being told that they were going to become much more professional. They didn't go through the Jacobs survey, but they went through whatever they went through. And, and there were similar initiatives being put into place and uh, beginning to show and uh, have an impact on uh, various levels of law enforcement and uh, and anything that you could loosely can understand is that wherever the, the, uh, the fingerprint of social engineering was going to touch, it was, it was broad, it was comprehensive, it was end-to-end, -end, and it was working. And people had to begin to get used to, um, the younger generations especially, were more likely to cooperate with a, an uptick in how fast things were going to be changing. Our parents, the, 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 the parents, uh, the boomers, had their parents for the great generation. They were burned out. They'd been through two, maybe three world wars, counting Korea and the depression. My mother alone, she was born in 1917, the year that the Russian Bolshevik revolution began. And she went through the, she, as, a, as an abandoned orphan, put into a Catholic uh, orphanage in, in um, Pittsburgh, and a family from Boston came down and, and uh, uh, adopted her, gave her a new name, gave her a Catholic religion, and then she went off and joined World War II. She was in North Africa with uh, um, the Allied forces fighting against Rommel. She was in the woman's quartermaster. I did not know this. This is wonder. This is an amazing history. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And and and. I, I, I know for a fact that our, the, the people who came home from, from World War II had been touched by World War I and had lived prior to going into the military, uh, had lived through the 10 or so years of the Depression, which was a cooked event. And uh, they're burnt out. So they, when they come home and they got the GI Bill, all they wanted to do is get that house 
get that new Chevy or that new Buick or that new Cadillac or that whatever and park it in that driveway and start smoking their cigarettes and drinking their beer and watching their baseball games. And they tuned out. Mike, can you blame them? Absolutely not. I'm telling you, when when, when you're telling me the story, I'm like celebrating what you're telling me. And I, it makes so much sense now. I'm going to stop because it's relating to what's going on right now. Go ahead. So there were other things that were changing. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to uh, bring up the fact that the Catholic church went through a Vatican council in 1963 to 1965 for three years that um, uh, was to update Roman Catholicism in the modern world. The only problem is that you can't change uh, fixed dogma and tradition, but because the people who are running it said, well, it's not so much that now, a little bit, little Chinese water, water torture method, drop by drop by drop. And here mm-hmm. we are 65 years later. And you can, you can, I can barely recognize the Catholic church. Well, actually it, 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 the, the individuals, and there is quite the bit of controversy and, and people taking sides as to have the Pope since 1960, since 1959, have they really been popes? Right. Or have there they is been, a question? Right. Have they been infiltrators? And right. there will be a, a a factual determination at some point. That's true. Hopefully, That's right. Hopefully, in not too distant future. Oh, in I the, believe it's history, coming. Yeah, I'm in sorry. The in the 1988 years of the Catholic Church, since Pentecost Sunday, in 33 A.D., <clears throat> there have been four popes who were. Uh, uh, examined many, many, many centuries ago over different periods of time. And they, and they were uh, uh, found to be uh, not popes. And they were declared to be ant- what are called anti-popes. So there's, wow. there's, their, their, their name does not appear in the continuous succession of actual popes. Okay. And, and, and where we get to the point, to make the, to make the point is that it's been done in the past. There's, been, there's always been infiltration by the evil, the occult, and the, and, the, and the organizations and the people that sign on to that way of life while they're here in this world that tries to undo the, 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 the method of what Christ established. And it was to, for two things. One was the church, and the other was the effect of the church's morality on, on how to provide for the common good in countries. We're just going to leave that part alone because probably a lot of heads are blowing up and people are having a hard time listening to this. Um, But all I'm going to say is that where we are today, the unrestricted ability uh, and the potential, the capacity to stir up more more, uh, disorder in the world in the last 700 years and especially in the last... 300 or so since the French Revolution has has gone over to the side of the occult Freemasonic communist type of, of uh, methods of destabilizing the society. And when I came on the department in 1970, all I was experiencing and what I'm trying to convey to you is that there was 
this very slick, very professional, appears to be quite, well, the guys have got uniforms on and, and they're telling us things and, we're, you know, what do we know? You know, we're brand new. And this is the way it's going to do. Quack, quack. We're going to all quack this way. We're going to quack. We're going to walk this way. You know, our little butt feathers are, are you know, are, <laughs> are, are going to wag as we going you know, to waddle down the road of being a police officer. Quack, right. quack. All right. So what did that actually look like? Um, one of the things that was had been going on um, from 1955 at LAPD and at uh, the uh, as a consequence of the 1965 riots, uh, there was two things that were s- set into motion by the uh, the chief at the time, William H. Parker. Parker was an avowed anti-communist. He he knew in uh, highly expert terms. Uh, the, the content of who all the bad guys were in the country. He knew what the organizations they belonged to, and, and he knew what they were up to, and he kept tabs on them. Parker and the chief uh, who preceded him, their precise goal was to root out all the corruption within LAPD because it had been a very corrupt organization, uh, and 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 it has returned to being a very corrupt organization in the last 30 years. And it wasn't all that perfect while I was there. Um, but I want to mention a book written by a 1940s, 1950s uh, vintage Los Angeles police officer by the name of Gareth L. Wien, W-E-A-N, W-E-A-N. He wrote a book. It's entitled, There's a Fish in the Courthouse. And it is about the, um, the um, corruption, the infiltrated corruption, and the, um, the extent of, of uh, criminality at, at an organized uh, form of, of uh, racketeering and, 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 and the mafias that were present in Southern California. It's very, very comprehensive, and a lot of it deals with things that uh, were within the LAPD, City of Los Angeles jurisdiction that he had, uh, that he goes into quite extensive detail and explains exactly how bad that was. Um, Parker, um, in 1955, selected a recruit from a, uh, an academy class in training up at the police academy in 1955. And he went and visited this recruit uh, on the uh, PT uh, field, the physical training field that 15 years later I was in. Officers like myself were doing their push-ups and running around and sweating and getting yelled at and and everything. And and this officer by the name of Saul Monroy in 1955 was in a push-up position along with the rest of his class and this pair of bright shiny black leather shoes comes in positions itself facing inwards towards him and he hears his name called to attention and he pops to attention and he's standing there looking at William H. Parker in his full uniform, dress blues. The following conversation that Monroy told me 20 years later at the back of, of Wilshire Division on a on a Sunday afternoon, where he had just come in 
to uh, uh, Wilshire Division as a brand newly uh, promoted sergeant wearing a, a police uniform with sergeant stripes on it that he had never worn before because he had been put into the Communist Party in 1955 and his salary his police salary was was invested on his behalf, and he had to go out and find a regular job in the world. Parker told, asked, asked Monroy initially, recruit officer Monroy, do you like being a Los Angeles police officer? Monroy said, like all of us would have said, sir, yes, sir, love it, thank you very much. And, um, and Parker then told him, he goes, well, fine, because as of right now, you are no longer officially a, a uh, visibly a, a Los Angeles police officer. You will be working for me and my successors for the next 20 years as an undercover operative from Public Disorder Intelligence Division in the Communist Party, which your listeners can now, thanks to the internet, the commies have their own website, cpusa.org. 20 years later, Monroy comes out as third highest ranking member of CPUSA in the Western Conference, which would be about eight Western states. And what Parker told Monroy in 1955 was that you are going to, we will teach you how to do this. You will accumulate as much intelligence information, names, dates, places, every kind of comprehensive piece of information on anything that the party is doing, even if it extends beyond the, uh, the physical jurisdiction of the city of Los Angeles, you have national or worldwide jurisdiction. We've got things wired for you. Now, you know, people are probably listening at this point in time. They're going, oh, wait, wait a minute. What about the FBI? Huh? Aren't, they, aren't they bigger? <laughs> because the FBI primarily were put in to, um, to, to uh, initially to uh, go toe-to-toe with, with what was called racketeering, which was the mafias, the various mm-hmm. ethnic mafias. Yep. Um, and coming forward, they also got uh, involved with, with the infiltrations um, that uh, involved the Marxists coming into the United States, the Nazis trying to uh, uh, spoof their way onto the East Coast, which was a little bit of a deal, not that big of a deal, but it, I mean, it was, but not like communism. Because communism in Russia emanated from the United States to begin with. We'll get into that another, you know. Don't forget the Nazi infiltration when all those guys came over here. Paperclip. (sighs) Whole other topic. Yeah, another one. Okay, you can deal with that one because I'm trying to to stay a little bit organized here. And there's a lot to deal with. And and, and I have to understand, and and I do understand that people listening to this, um, either for the very first time, it's a lot to hear, it's a lot to digest. And um, what I encourage you to do is um, take notes, go back, replay this, write a little bullet point thing, and when he's talking about this, this, and this, and then start looking things up. Be, be prepared if you do, though, that there's a lot of disinformation out there that naysays this. And, um, I will try in a in another podcast episode to give a little bit of a primer on how to do research uh, in a, in, a, in an academic sort of way. After I retired from the department, um, I, I met a man 
who was uh, knee deep in his personal life in, in the study of what is generally classified as the conspiracy of the nations. Now, MSNBC and all these media people, they nonstop about, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. That's oh, a conspiracy theory. You know, it's like Dan Bongino going, oh, it's a PP tape, you know, and all these crazy <laughs> things that no matter how much they, they try to beat it up, all they end up doing is confirming in good, right thinking people's minds that no one would put up this much deflection if there wasn't something actually really there. Now, That's what such a great point. Please say that what, again. No one would put up this no much deflection. No one would put up this much deflection if there wasn't actually something there in the first place. Boom. And literally, as capabilities have uh, with, with media, with printing, uh, and all the effects of how psychological warfare is uh, um, put into motion to affect how people think mm -hmm. to turn them from a direction that they would otherwise naturally be headed. Um, it has been working little by little. There's a top, there's a, there's a concept called revisionist history, which is uh, where all of our books are constantly being re-edited and, and content taken out and nothing else being put in not necessarily by the original author. And in many of these cases, all the really solid good books that people are dead to begin with and the copyrights have worn out and somebody comes in, buys up that cop that copyright and boof. Oh, it's no, that didn't happen that way. Right. That mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, what, um, what the FBI did not know for a long, long time. And I mean, they did not know. For the 20 years that Monroy was in, they didn't know he was there. And the last thing that Parker told, Chief Parker told Monroy is that at the, at the end of your 20 years, no matter who the chief of police is, he will be briefed to know that you're there and, and to expect that you will be coming and knocking on his door saying, Chief Heiss is uh, Saul Monroy as you're coming out of the Communist Party. You and I are supposed to go and talk to my former boss over there at the Western Conference. <clears throat> well, that was that was at the time... Chief Ed Davis, who eventually became a, a state senator uh, in California. Mom, I remember that name. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 Davis um, and and Monroy uh, went to notify the uh, person in charge of the uh, Western Conference of the Communist Party that. Uh, Monroy had been infiltrated for the last 20 years and he was leaving the organization and he was returning to LAPD for, uh, to put out the rest of his career uh, in some other capacity. Thank you very much. See, is there anything else you'd like to say to me there, uh, um, um, Mr. Mr. Marxist? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, we're coming for the records and we're going to kill both of you. Oh. Now, who told me that? Did I just make this up? No. No. It, it's again, it's these young poop butt, Mike Fanning, but got about five years on the job, you know, had had more ego than I had, his, it had wisdom and knowledge and experience, had that <laughs> uniform on, that badge, that gun, you know, I'm standing there and going, I'm thinking this dude just does not look like he belongs in that uniform. Well, it turns out I was right.
See, the instincts. I asked him, I asked him I, uh, after roll call, I walked up and I introduced him, myself and I, you know, welcome to Wilshire. And I, and I said, what I, in, in cop parlance, I said, well, where'd you come from? Now a gangbanger would walk up to some other fool in a neighborhood and say, hey, brother, where, where are you from? You know, you know, and that that's a challenge as to you're not from my neighborhood. Where, who are you? Do I kill you now or do I, you know, you, you, you know or what are we going to do here? But you're going to tell me where you're from. But in cop parlance, it, what it really means is, what was the last division you were at before you transferred here? And I'm expecting to hear a division. And he goes, first time, he says it three times to me. And I ask him three times, and he the same answer every time. First time, he says, Communist Party. And my, and my head goes around. I go, what the, what'd wow. you say? What? No, really? no. Yeah. And, and I said, so, no, no, where, where, where are you from? And he goes, I said, the Communist Party. Wow. And I said, oh. and, I, and I gasped, and I, and I looked at him one more time. I said, no, Sarge, the, I, don't, I don't get it, but, but you, you, were, you, you had to have worked some, some police division before you got here. Why are you telling me you were in the Communist Party? Because that didn't make any sense. He goes, Fanning, yes, sir. He goes, and then he tells me the story that I've just laid out to you guys. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, what the hell? And why how how I... old were you about now? Just curious. Oh, I was about 25 years old. Wow. Yeah. I was about 25 years old. The second thing that, that Parker did after the 65 riots was that uh, after realizing that uh, uh, other riots that were occurring uh, throughout the Detroit, New York, uh, Chicago, uh, that, that there was a whole lot of capability with all the rioters and all the police had were their little six shooters. Uh, and it wasn't real practical in most situations uh, to use a shotgun and the only other weapon that was uh, in in every police patrol division was a um, a thirty thirty uh, <laughs> rifle, and that's the only things that were used to fight the Watts riots in 1965. So after that was over, uh, Parker uh, caused. Uh, inquiries to be made from from the department to the United States military and asked if there would be a way in which there could be some uh, dedicated precise training for the purposes of incorporating military uh, uh, tactics to be able to become more successful at combating and, and ending and in a more effective way, in a quicker way, um, uh, these types of levels of hostilities and criminality that, that police departments were obviously going to be facing in the future. And the United States military, uh, probably because phones were, phones were uh, numbers were called by the people in the, in the Pentagon to other places like the White House and the National Security Council to go, hey, we got this. This uh, good old boy, chief of police out there in the West Coast, he wants to know if we could help him uh, 
uh, kick the commies' butts and all that sort of stuff. What do you think, there, Mr. President? Oh, well, no, you're not going to let him do that. So just send him on his way. Well, Parker would not take no for an answer. So he goes, well, I mean, I am, I am Irish, but I won't hold it against the British for this purpose. So he goes over and he has, he has his people go over to Britain and, um, and they sit down with the uh, Special Air Services, SAS. SAS just jumped on it. And what we ended up having is that was the beginning of dynamic uh, tactical, uh, the development of tactics based on, on dynamic military um, uh, ways of, of uh, dealing with insurgencies that they themselves were beginning to have to deal with during World War II. Because when they got to the point of trying to root out the Germans um, in the, uh, the European towns where they were occupied in France and Italy and places like that, um, they had to learn from the ground up. And one of the things that Parker knew from his own department was that the tactics that were always going to be the most solid, the most effective and enduring that would stand any kind of legal challenge in court were the ones that were developed by the, the senior officers in the patrol divisions on the department. And the same thing came from like the 75th Army, uh, Army Rangers Regiment and from the other special forces that uh, began to uh, gain fame and notoriety that all of a sudden now we well, it's, everybody understands what special forces is, what Green Berets are, what Delta Force is, you know, what uh, uh, third division of the 75th Army, Reg Army Rangers Regiment is and what U.S. Navy SEALs are. And of course, now in the, in the last 30 years, those units have been used to be, to, to, uh, be manipulated and abused uh, in these ridiculous wars, number one, number two, uh, the, the SEALs and Delta Forces, particularly the SEALs, are sheep dipped in all these BS CIA operations, which are evil. Yep. And, uh, but nonetheless, what Parker did in 65 attracted the attention and, the, and, and re uh, confirmed the uh, hatred, the, the absolute. Cain versus Abel type of hatred that the federal government had for LAPD because LAPD was at that time from the 1950s forward making an actual affirmative attempt to root out communism, the mafia, and any form of internal corruption. Now, you would think, and people who who are, who are good-hearted souls, who believe that their leaders mean well and that our country is, is established to protect the interest of people. Most of our American people uh, have <laughs> spent a lot of their time in their lifetime, you know, uh, believing that yep. the, the government is there to help you. Oh, no, it is oh, not. No. Ask a veteran. Not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ask a veteran. Ask a lot of people. Yeah. So those two things right there uh, are what was was uh, my one of my first levels of, of beginning to realize that there was uh, infiltrations and that there was a lot of uh, uh, complicated intrigue based stuff, political and social engineering going on because the department taught us at that time uh, what is called the Socratic method 
of uh, how to investigate. It's simple. It's simple. It's just the questions of who, what, where, how, when, why, and uh, I think when. I think we put that in there. Uh, all, all those interrogatory type of questions done with an objective approach to investigating any kind of situation. And as time and experience uh, accumulates, uh, remaining true to, to that uh, objective investigation uh, method, I learned so much. And a lot of officers of my generation also learned so much. I've had a number of officers who were my partners over the years. They went into uh, high levels of uh, in, uh, intelligence and law enforcement or were uh, swooped up uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, one of my partners was swooped up and, and uh, his, he was cashed out from LAPD. And uh, one of the agencies uh, that lied as to who they really were came and uh, caused him to be uh, um, uh, not terminated, but his his employment was was uh, and his pension was bought out by a federal agency that turned out to be the CIA. But they came in approaching themselves as as the uh, uh, the Naval Intelligence Service, and then oh it was actually God. the NSA. But then, you know, um, it was always the CIA all along. And he went into a program that was called Casey's Boys. Um, and that was William Casey, who was the director of the CIA in the mid 80s. And the United States government and the intelligence operations knew that the Soviet Union was going to collapse in 1989 as a staged event. It did not happen because Ronald Reagan a former member of the Communist Party and the Screen Actors Guild prior to becoming a Republican governor and then a, a Republican president, uh, uh, went over there to Berlin and said, Master Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know, and what an act. Said, what an yeah. act. <laughs> but that's what happened. Okay, because, because, because in um, beginning in about the early 80s, the uh, Soviet premier at the time, I believe it was, uh, uh, and uh, Brezhnev, was either Andr uh, Andropov or Brezhnev, uh, uh, tasked a KGB colonel by the name of Anatoly Golitsyn to write the Perestroika Glasnost uh, disinformation program that was the dismantling of the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union visibly dismantled, but um, communism never went away. Marxism never went away. Okay, we're going to take a little pause here. Okay, parenthesis. You cannot be a socialist unless you're a Marxist. You cannot be a communist unless you are a Marxist. Socialism is the uncommunistic way of less guns and less um, totalitarian methods of getting you to function as a civilian or in whatever other capacity a person is in a Marxist form of government. And if that doesn't work, and ultimately most socialist governments 
devolve back into being a communist government. And the, and, the, and the Western world, the whole entire world for that matter, has been lulled to sleep since 1989 thinking, ah, oh, the West beat communism. It's over. We don't have to worry about anything, kids. Hilarious. Let's go get some, let's go get some ice cream. Let's go play ball. Yeah. Yeah. President, President Reagan, he defeated Gorbachev. What a great guy. The programming oh. is deep. Now, where was, where was American infiltration going at the time? And, and why, and, and you have to understand if you're, you're going to do some kind of a strategy chart, you're going, to, you're going to mark what's most important, but in order for the most important things to get uh, to be fulfilled, all of the things below it have to be fulfilled as well. And they have to be fulfilled first in order for the bigger, larger objective to be accomplished overall. Now, here we are 50 some odd years past 1970. And I don't think it's very difficult for people who have done any amount of real study to realize that we are um, uh, very, very close to capitulating. And, and for, that, for, for a, a fact that uh, might um, not easily want to be appreciated or accepted, the, the, uh, the surrogates, the actual communist surrogates that are in this present White House um, are fulfilling what is called in, in the Chinese Communist Party's uh, way of, of uh, trying to overthrow the government is called elite capture. Elite capture means they didn't fire a shot. We're not over here walk, marching down your streets yet. But our surrogates are getting most everything done at this particular juncture that is going to lead to whatever else is going to come after that. So at the beginning of my career back in the 70s, <clears throat> and, as, and after I began to uh, think uh, with a lot of effort as to what Monroy had explained to me, and that conversation was revisited many years, many, uh, over the several years that he remained at Wilshire Division, he eventually did die of a uh, a heart attack in his uh, apartment in Rampart Division. Which like my just, two, like my two bosses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, succinylcholine is is a, is what you, uh, you you stick into somebody's uh, veins, and it uh, is is unless they do a deeper level of, of autopsy, it's not detectable, and it, and it appears and presents as a heart attack. Um, succinylcholine. You taught me that. <laughs> well, you explained that to me actually, because when we were talking about some other other scenarios, oh, the, yeah. yeah, the corn, the Cornell and uh, Bennington yeah. Uh, yeah. suicides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah those anyway, poor guys. Okay, now we're uh, we're running out of time here, and we're just going to push the rest of this into the next episode. Well, this is, uh, you know, I always think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Not that I know what you're going to say, because I've heard some of these. Uh, I've heard this uh, story in some ways before, but my God, every time we talk, I feel like there should be like four more episodes. And the, the information to me is like, I feel like I'm in, I'm in, a, in a class that I actually wanted to be in my whole life. So thank you, Mike. Um, these are 
amazing, amazing stories that are real life and it's going to help bring people from dark to light. So uh, thanks again. And we will pick this up next week. uh, This is episode four. Yeah. Yeah. If if any of your uh, listeners want to push questions to you through uh, your, your, uh, your, your chat thing on telegram, um, that would be good. You know? Um, Oh, I do uh, get a lot of questions. That's a good place to send people. Yeah. So let's, uh, but, but, if they want to start pushing questions to uh, uh, that they want me to answer or to address, you know, uh, um, I'll be more than happy to. And if I don't know, I just straight up, I'm not going to bloviate. So are you saying you're going to be part of this conversation or do you want me to be your liaison? Yeah, just a little liaison for a while. Okay. Um, All right. So uh, you got the goat it. Herder, the goat herder made a, 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 a lame attempt last week at getting into your uh, group discussion on Okay. Telegram. So you are in there. You are in there. I, I, I didn't know I do it. It lasted about a minute. And then, uh, and somebody goes, Oh, is that, is that, is that him? And I go, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> I didn't have any, it was late. It was about midnight. It was time. I, I saw that. My bedtime. I saw that. <laughs> okay. Right, you folks, have a so, fan club. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's better to have a fan club than people trying to put a put a notch on their belt. So, uh, not that I, I've had that too. So, anyway, hey, listen, um, I'll let you go, and we'll talk next week. All right, thank you, Mike. Okay, God bless. God bless you too. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm watching a miniseries that's probably better than anything I've ever watched because it's real life, it's real truth, and it's coming straight from source of uh, somebody who's been through all of this and has uh, lived to tell the story. So God bless you, uh, Mike Fanning, and just God bless all of your endeavors and everything you've done for our country and still yet you uh, always stand up in the face of adversity and follow God and stand with our Lord Jesus Christ. So God bless you. Uh, My respect for Sergeant Fanning is uh, there's no words for men like him. I have uh, met very few people like him in my life and I hope you take this time to uh, just really uh, take take a look at all or take a listen to all four episodes if you haven't heard all of LA Non-Confidential and start with the beginning because it is a story that goes in order. Um, So thank you for bringing that to us today. Also, please check out today's blog article, which will feature uh, some notes and references from today's talk with Sergeant Fanning. And uh, please do share that as well at DelaraSMGill.blog. Well, I do have some good news for you guys. Uh, We did miss a comedy night, which was last night. And I did have a very special guest who was going to appear a brand new guest that you've never actually heard from before. So he will be uh, some, we'll have a bonus episode this weekend and uh, I will be posting that as well. Uh, Tomorrow night is Friday night, which is dark to light, usually featuring a special guest. And uh, I I do believe that there is a couple of people who um, will be featuring that's coming up, but tomorrow night um, there may not be a guest as one of the uh, scheduled guests Um, had a medical emergency in his family and cannot make it. So uh, stay tuned for Dark to Light tomorrow evening. And Saturday, Saturday night is SNR, Saturday Night Rants. Sometimes I have a guest and sometimes I don't because it's usually very late by the time I get to uh, the Saturday Night Rant. So tune in, stay tuned, and stay the course because it's going to be a long haul, but those who endure 
shall be saved. God bless you, patriots, and where we go one, we go all. <laughs>